All right, at this time, I want to uh, share a summary of a maybe familiar story uh, to introduce our new sermon series on hope. And as I do, I would just invite you guys to uh, open up your Bibles and skim through Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 to 23, uh, which we'll enter into quickly. Uh, If you're a a visitor here today, if this is your first time, I just want to welcome you on behalf of Big Sky Christian Fellowship. We never uh, ask you to acknowledge yourself or stand up or anything like that. Uh, But if you're new here, uh, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. All right, we're going to uh, talk the next couple weeks about four or five passages where the Apostle Paul talks about the uniqueness and the beauty of hope. I don't think anybody here would say that hope is a bad thing. Uh, I want to show you how Scripture reveals that Christian hope is an even more beautiful and an even better thing than we often imagine. I think a beautiful example of secular or non-religious hope is illustrated through the movie The Shawshank Redemption, which is both a novella and a movie. The story takes place in the 1950s and 60s in a fictional place in Maine called Shawshank Prison. It's a terrible place filled with mostly bad people. A man named Andy is given two life sentences for a crime that he did not commit. I should point out that Stephen King wrote the story, and while many of his books are about gross stuff like clowns that haunt your dreams, <laughs> The Shawshank Redemption is a beautiful story about the power of hope. So most of the prisoners at Shawshank have been there for so long that they've given up hope. The warden is evil and the guards are violent. Uh, in one especially discouraging scene, an old man named Brooks finally gets out on parole, but after decades without hope, He just withers away in loneliness. He's got no hope. There's another character named Red who has very reluctant hope. And he has this quote where where he says, hope hope is a dangerous thing. It can drive a man insane. But there's this one guy, Andy, this character who never lets go of the power of hope. One hot afternoon, he tricks the guards into getting cold drinks for his friends. Another time, he sneaks into the warden's office and plays a beautiful record over uh, the, the loudspeaker to all the prisoners in the exercise yard. He secures funds for a library. He helps a bunch of prisoners get their GED diplomas. And eventually he escapes because every night for 30 years he was hammering a tunnel out of his cell one handful of rocks at a time. And there's a lot more to the story, but the main point is that hope has the possibility to bring freedom. And the final line of that movie is from that same prisoner, Red, who was reluctant to choose hope, and the the last line as he's contemplating his release from Shawshank, is I hope the Pacific is as blue as I picture it. Pause. I hope. Maybe you've read the book or watched the movie, maybe you found inspiration in the same notion of secular hope. This idea that life is hard, but if we don't abandon hope, eventually we'll find freedom from our confinement or our burdens. Maybe someday we'll even see the ocean. I love that idea. I hope that you all have this same notion of secular hope. I don't say that in a derogatory way. There's a power in that just in itself. But what I do want to talk about today, as well as the next few Sundays, is that there's something even better than secular hope. For the next four weeks, we're going to examine four different passages that the Apostle Paul wrote in Scripture about the uniqueness and the beauty of Christian hope. 
So today I'm going to get right to the point and share four ways that Ephesians 1, 13 to 23 tells us that Christian hope is different and better than secular hope. Let's get started. I'm sure you guys have flown in airplanes dozens if not hundreds of times and there's always that awkward part at the end of the flight when the flight attendants stand up and start to explain what you have to do when they land the plane. And even though our life is kind of hanging in the balance, what do we do? We don't really pay attention because we've just heard it so many times. What I want to do now just for a minute or just for two minutes, hopefully get a little bit more out of attention out of you than when you're landing the plane, uh, is explain why we're going to land in Ephesians, why it is that this particular passage has so much insight for us today in this particular topic. Well, uh, the book of uh, Ephesians was uh, written by the Apostle Paul, and uh, it was sent to a church in the city of Ephesus, which was a Greek city. And even though it was destroyed in 262 AD, we know a lot about this city uh, from the ruins of what remains. So very quickly, I want to point out a couple things that the city of Ephesus had remarkably in common with Big Sky, Montana. Because when we can kind of see those connections, we can feel that, uh, that Paul's speaking to us just like he was speaking to that audience thousands of years ago. Well, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world is found in Ephesus, and it's the temple of Artemis. And Artemis was the Greek goddess of what? Wilderness and nature. So if you ever felt like any of your friends in Big Sky uh, worship wilderness and nature, that's something that our town has in common with Ephesus. They also found the remains of a library that originally stood uh, over 2,000 square feet, and it was filled with over 12,000 scrolls. In other words, Ephesus, much like Big Sky, was a city with many diverse ideas and philosophies. This just wasn't one way of looking at it. There were just all sorts of worldviews. And finally, if you've ever thought that uh, Big Sky is a place that is just really uh, captivated by recreation and leisure, the city of Ephesus has remains of a theater that held over 24,000 people. Isn't that amazing? A little bit bigger than the Waypoint, right? A little bit bigger than Warren Miller. So those are some things that the city of Ephesus has in common with Big Sky. Uh, and uh, to move on, uh, there's probably three things that I would say Paul is really focused on when he's writing this letter to this church in a context much like ours. The first thing that he's addressing is what the gospel is. In Ephesians 1.7, we have a great explanation. Paul writes, In Jesus we have redemption through his blood. We have the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. One of my heroes, Tim Keller, says this, The gospel is this simple. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's like the main thing that Paul is trying to express in Ephesians. Another thing that Paul is trying to impart upon his audience that received this letter, and also ourselves, um, is that the gospel gives us a shared identity. If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, if you, if you feel like you've been given new spiritual life through Jesus' death and resurrection, we're no longer lone wolves. We're no longer going through this world on our own. We're now part of a larger faith community. Uh, the, writer, the Christian writer Brennan Manning says this, The gospel is absurd and the life of Jesus is meaningless unless we believe that he lived, died, and rose again with one purpose in mind to make brand new creation. 
not to make people with better morals, but instead to create a community of men and women who would enter into the center of it all, the heart and the mystery of Christ, into the center of this flame that consumes and purifies and sets everything aglow with peace and joy and boldness and extravagant, furious love. This is what it means to be a Christian. Paul gets into that in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, as well as a few other places. I just love that idea that this new spiritual life that we've been given makes us aglow with peace and joy and boldness and furious love. Following Christ is about so much more than just setting aside one hour a week, right? I'm so thankful for what it gives me the capacity to do. And then finally, I think the third main theme of the book of the letter of Ephesians is the role and the power of hope in Christian life. We are supposed to have a hope that's different than the hope that others carry. Uh, and that's what brings us to our passage today, Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. So with that, I'd like to just move through four things that jump out of today's passage on the beauty and the uniqueness and the distinctness of Christian hope. First one is this. Christian hope is superior to all other hope because Christian hope is based on a guarantee. Let me read where we see this. We see this uh, here in Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14. If you haven't, please turn there, and I'll read. It says, uh, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So the single biggest way that Christian hope is different than secular hope is that Christian hope is based on a guarantee. Uh, in our introduction to that movie, The Shawshank Redemption, you had this, this construct where people thought that hope was dangerous because it doesn't pay off for everybody. Some people experience what they're longing for and some people don't. It worked for Andy, it worked for Red, but it didn't work for Brooks. Secular hope says that its value is that maybe it will deliver you from your despair. Christian hope is different. Christian hope is better. Christian hope is stated here in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. It's based on a guarantee that if you place your hope in Jesus Christ, that God is guaranteeing to watch over you and to ultimately redeem you. A Christian has a guarantee that God loves you, God is for you, and that you are God's eternal possession. In the early 1930s, during the depth of the Great Depression, so many banks had failed, and so many people had lost their life savings, that eventually the multitudes, the population, just stopped putting their money in banks. Because you could put it there, but there was no guarantee that it would, you could withdraw it and get it back into your hands. Uh, that tragically happened to a lot of people who lost their fortunes. But then on January 1st, 1934, the U.S. The US government issued a guarantee on bank savings up to $2,500. That doesn't sound like a lot in the big sky, but that was, that was three years of median income in 1934. In other words, there was now a guarantee that you could put up to three years of your savings into the bank, and even if that bank boarded up its doors and its windows, the government would still pay you that money. The guarantee meant that as long as there was a federal government, you were not going to lose that money. Um, on a personal note, 
uh, I lost my father two years ago. Uh, my mother-in-law is sadly uh, passing away uh, as we speak uh, with brain cancer. And I'm sure that most of you know the hollow pain of losing a loved one. It's almost unbearable at times. And yet a Christian has a guarantee that we eternally belong to God. I can't tell you if the Bible is true or not. That's up to you. I believe that it is. But if you believe that the Bible is real, there's a guarantee that we will be with those who love Christ that we've lost again. And that's just one way that those guarantees have brought comfort to me in a time that I don't know how I would handle it without that. The most significant way that a Christian hope is better than secular hope is that Christian hope is based on guarantees that you belong to God, you're redeemed through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and as a result, you're God's eternal possession. Those are guarantees. Those are guarantees that other lesser hopes don't have. All right, a second way that Christian hope is beautiful and unique in ways that others aren't is that Christian hope points us towards our inheritance, which greatly intensifies our work, our worth. Let me say that again. Christian hope points us towards a promised inheritance, which greatly intensifies our worth. That comes from that same uh, two verses, so I'll just read them again. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed, you were marked with a seal, the promised presence of God. It's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. So another reason Christian hope is such a beautiful and an important thing, according to Paul, who wrote this section of the Bible, is because our hope reminds us of what we still have to gain, and this increases our value. I spent most of my life in Illinois and Wisconsin, and uh, in those particular states, when you have an empty aluminum can, um, you have to take it to a recycling center, and it's worth approximately 15 cents per pound. In other words, you have to save up, you have to scrounge up about 30 or 40 cans, empty cans, take them into the ghetto to the recycling center, uh, and you get about 15 cents for those 30 or 40 cans. It just doesn't really, I know you guys love the earth, it doesn't really feel worth it, okay? So I didn't, I didn't do it a lot. But then, has anybody here ever been camping in Michigan? Michigan was just getting tired of all this litter, all these empty cans and bottles on the side of the road. So they offered a guarantee of 10 cents for every can or bottle. And you don't even have to go to a recycling center. You can just take an empty can or bottle in Michigan, right into the grocery store, put it on the counter, and they'll give you 10 cents per can or bottle. So you better believe when we were little kids, we would like stick our, we'd go to the campgrounds and we'd like stick our hands into the dirty garbage cans and dumpsters. We'd walk into the store with a big handful of uh, empty bottles and we'd get like four bucks, which we'd instantly spend on candy. And our parents would be like, why aren't you eating dinner? And we're like, I don't know. So we're bouncing all over the place. In other words, those bottles have an inheritance. They're worth 10 cents. They're worth more than other cans in other places. I think that's an interesting picture of how even garbage, how even trash can have a future worth to it. In a similar way, a Christian has special value. The Bible promises that you're going to get a new body in heaven. 
The Bible promises there's going to be a day when all is made new. There's going to be a day with great feasting and no more tears. Even this particular passage promises that God somehow works through everything for his goodness and for his glory. I don't know about you guys, but there's times when I sin. There's times when I feel shame. There's times when I feel guilty. And in those moments, I feel like absolute garbage. And it's hard for me to see value or worth in myself based on my actions in, 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 those, in those moments. Um, but in Michigan, a can is not garbage. It's, it's littered with an inheritance. And even in our sin, even in our shame, even in our guilt, a Christian hope brings us value in this inheritance that we will gain in the future. Christian hope points us towards our inheritance, which increases our value in our work. We're not just a can, we're a can with an inheritance. Increases our value. All right, a third reason Christian hope is so significant uh, is because it fuels a process that focuses us on the object of our hope. Christian hope focuses, uh, it fuels a process that focuses us on our future hope. Listen to what it says in verses 17 to 19. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. So a third reason Christian hope is so significant is because it focuses our eyes on Jesus, who's our reason for hope and also the object of our hope. According to these verses, when we're in a situation and we choose to exercise and to cling to our Christian hope, it refocuses our attention on Jesus. On May 12, 2022, a Florida man named Darren Harrison was flying in a chartered plane on a way back from a fishing trip in the Bahamas. He was flying over the open ocean, and the pilot unexpectedly blacked out and was unresponsive. Harrison had never flown a plane. He put on another passenger's headset and he made contact with the air traffic controller in Fort Pierce named Christian Flores. The air traffic controller quickly found out what kind of aircraft he was in and printed out a picture of the controls on a nearby office printer. Using, using those controls, because every plane is a little bit different, he then coached the 39-year-old Darren Harrison in painstaking detail, eventually landing safely at the Palm Beach International Airport, where the two men embraced. When asked how he did such an improbable task, Harrison explained that he simply focused on every single thing that the air traffic controller, who was also a flight instructor, told him to do. Desperation has a way of focusing our attention on the thing that is most likely to save us. Christian hope uh, is just superior to other hopes because it focuses us on the reason for our hope and the object of our hope. Have you guys ever noticed that in a really low season or maybe a crisis, worship music is just a little bit more powerful than in other times? Again, it's because it's focusing us on Jesus. It's focusing us on God's activity in our lives. It's focusing us on the object of our hope. 
And here's the fourth way that today's passage shows us the beauty and the superiority of Christian hope. It tells us in Ephesians 1, 20 and 21, that Christian hope is the result of a victory that's already on display. I hope this sticks with you. Ephesians 1, 20 and 21 says this. Um, Power is the same as the mighty strength that God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name, not only in this age, but in the present age to come. So the final way that Christian hope is superior to secular hope is that it's based on a victory that's already on display. This passage, Ephesians 20 and 1, chapter 120 and 20, reminds us that Jesus Christ has already risen from the dead. He appeared to thousands of people. Something turned the Roman Empire into Christians in under a hundred years. That's historically unparalleled. The Christian church spread across the Middle East, Greece, and Africa in one generation. These verses explain that that explanation is that Jesus rose from the dead in the entire world from the emperors and the governments all the way down to the peasants took notice. In other words, we don't have hope that maybe God can raise somebody from the dead. We have hope in the promise that Jesus will do for us what he's already demonstrated the capacity to do. What does this mean that our hope is in the results of a victory already on display? At the 2022 World Track and Field Championships, one of the fastest women in the world, a beautiful Nigerian woman named Toby Amusam, was running the 100-meter hurdles in the semifinals. That's the race right before the medal round. She ran the 100-meter hurdles, and she shattered the world record by a huge margin, by almost two-tenths of a second. And that was in the semifinal. That was in the second-to-last race, and she just shattered the world record for her event. Can you imagine what it would be like to have to race against her in the medal round? She just shattered the world record. All the other runners at that point, their hope to win the race was based on positive thinking. Their hope to win the race was that they would somehow run faster than they had ever run in any of their training. But for Toby, her hope to win the gold was based on a victory that was already on display. She just had to map her time or even just come close to it. And the gold was hers. She went out and actually beat her world record set, a world record two races in a row. The final aspect of the superiority of Christian hope is that it's based on a victory that's already on display. Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. Jesus Christ has appeared to people in a resurrected body. Jesus Christ exists eternally. Jesus Christ walks through the valley of death with believers who leave this earth and he leads them to green pastures. And the reason why Psalm 23 is the most famous poem in the world is not because of its claims or not because of its wording. It's famous because it reminds us that Jesus is going to do for us what he's already done for so many others. I'd like to invite the worship team to come forward and help us conclude our service by celebrating the Lord's Supper.